You are listening to Boku No Stop, the most depressing anime podcast that doesn't mention Miura's name in 2021. I'm your host, Sybil Arnett, and with me is... I'm really sad now, thanks. Uh, Chris. <laughs> uh, Mad Marcus, hi. And today we're talking about Monster, episodes 28 through 30. Content warning, there's a whole lot of suicide this time out, kids, so well, get ready for little, that. There's only a little, but there's a lot of talk about it. Okay. There's a whole lot of suicide as plot element and actually on camera. Happy? <laughs> yes. Sure. Uh, to remind you where we left off since we are in the middle of an arc, last time in Munich, blind financier Hans Georg Schuwald, a bitter elderly crank known as the Vampire of Bayern, has a set of young men who read his books to him in Latin. We dig in on the lives of three of them. Carl Newman, who is actually Schuvald's bastard son by a famously killed sex worker, Edmund Ferrin, a grifter claiming to be said son, who dies of a suspicious suicide, and this guy named Johann Lieber. Around the edges of this drama are Lottie Frank, a young woman who also works for Schuvald and has taken a liking to Carl, Margot Langer, a still-alive sex worker exploiting Schuvald's guilt for money, even though everyone knows she's not the dead woman, and Richard Brown, a private eye hired to investigate Edmund's bizarre suicide, who's trying to pick his life back up after he dyke-hearted a kid years prior. We open with uh, episode 28, Just One Case, where Shuvald lets Brown know that no matter what he's found, the case is close to him. Brown protests because he thinks the old man's life is still in danger over Edmund's probably not a suicide, but Shuvald's just like, just send me the bill and get the fuck out of here. Um, as he leaves, Brown thinks how strange it is that this old crank has become so jovial in the wake of finding his boy. So, he, he shouldn't think it's weird at all. It's so good, though. He does like a mocking impression of, oh, and Johan's here. Can't believe that guy was the fucking called the vampire of wherever. Uh-huh. Fucking very funny. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So... Braun and his therapist, Dr. Reichwein, are having dinner together, which is something you usually don't do with your therapist. <laughs> uh, so Braun uh, is saying that he's staying off the alcohol pretty cleanly, but all of the free time is his real threat now because he's just got nothing else going on in his life. So he's revisiting his old notebooks of unsolved cases from his days as a cop. The doctor says this is, despite the fact that it once drove him to drink, a good thing. He says, uh, you're looking at it with clearer thoughts and healthier actions now. Examine how it makes you feel. Uh, when everything is brought into daylight, the ghosts will disperse. On his ride home, Brown suddenly has a jolt of panic when it seems like someone is sneaking up behind him on the train platform. He turns around and sees no one, but we do get a image of a hand behind the guy. He makes it home, and... He has a quick overview of all his old cases that night. A variety of unsolved deaths. Near the end of it, he has a realization, but suddenly he sees the dead boy again and he just loses it. He doesn't know what clicked. So his paranoia begins building over the next few nights. He's feeling like someone's following him. He, so he just flips around in the dead of night and starts chasing Whatever. We see no one, but eventually, down an alley, he has a flashback to pursuing the kid, and it clicks. He drops by Reichwein's Reich house in the middle of the night and talks it out. When I saw that boy, 
I knew I was staring at pure evil. I just had to. I had to kill him. But in confronting this, he's also realized his flash of insight again. All the cases are actually one single case. The Kildings were an elderly couple, one of which the killing has been pinned on Tenma, a young accountant on the rise dead in a nothing-stolen robbery, a housekeeper and a driver in the Voice of God killings, where the killer left messages scrawled at each scene, one of the top detectives in Bayern found deceased in a local forest, and a financial institution's CEO. <laughs> the next day, Braun begins reopening his cases. He visits the daughter of the uh, Voice of God killings first, and we're introduced to the fact that they were uh, Shuvalt's housekeeper and driver. Uh, the CEO's, the dead CEO's successor is the next interview. Uh, apparently, Shuvald was a bitter rival of the man, but according to the fellow, he said, it might sound odd, but I don't know if either of them ever had anyone else on that level to compare to. They fought like vipers, but they almost seemed like friends. So, you know, camaraderie and <laughs> being completely shitbag CEOs. <laughs> hey, this sounds familiar for some reason. <laughs> uh, so between interviews, Braun is walking alone when a girder snaps loose and nearly crushes him. And he screams up at the uh, construction staff to be careful, but nobody responds. Well, also because there's no one there. There's no sound of work. So it was just one person trying to get him specifically. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very obvious that this was a, a murder attempt. Uh, we see more interviews. Everyone seems to be connected to Juvalt in some way, and they all were on good terms with the man. Uh, so they didn't know him as a vampire. They just all were friendly towards him. A bunch and of them went out and bird watched with the guy. Yeah, yeah. It's very seems very odd that all these people ended up dead. Hmm. Classic rich person way to waste all your time. Huh. <laughs> uh, well, as he continues investigating, a Mack truck nearly runs him over at a crosswalk. Witnesses nearby uh, who saw him dodge the truck said it almost seemed like he was aiming for you. The, the lunatic. And we close out the episode with a final interview with Dr. Reichwein. As Brown lays out all his cases, he says all of them are connected by Schuwald except for the elderly couple murder. But it links up when he mentions there's a name he's been hearing through a lot of these, and when he heard that Dr. Tenma's defense was there was a man named Johan. That was the name that kept coming up, right? And Brown is surprised that the doctor has jumped ahead of him on this before he pulls out a letter. He reached out to Dr. Gillen, who we saw a few episodes ago, and asked him, Hey, your case, that man Jurgens, what was the name of the guy he said told him to kill again? And at this point, Brown has a horrible realization that, while it's an incredibly common name, what's the name of that kid who just became Shuvald's personal assistant? Oh, shit. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. So so this is the point where, you know, y'all were talking in the in the chat of uh, like how dark this arc gets. And like here here's what I thought when I saw this. I, like my first thought was like, okay, Carl's going to die. Like you know, Johan did the same thing with with General Wolf, right? Like everyone he ever cared and loved about and was close was, you know, systematically you know, murdered uh, to make him feel terrible. And I, now it's like, oh, wow, uh, Shuvalt is the target of the same type of treatment now. 
I'm not sure why. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember why. <laughs> if if we've been told uh, that, we yet. don't have a reason why yet. Although you can make some guesses. Yeah, yeah, I can. I assume it has something to do with five one one Kinderheim. But no, you know, no. Interesting. No, it's just isolating an old guy for his money. Oh, see, like what I thought. Yeah, I thought it was more of like a targeted thing to like just make, you know, make this guy suffer. The reason you thought that is just getting some money is a very boring motivation for Johan. It is. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying that's all of it. I'm just saying right now that's how you can read this. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I just I, I thought like, okay, the real dark, dour thing to do would be like you finally reunite him with his long lost son that he's been searching for. And then you just fucking murder him <laughs> and just crush this guy's spirit completely. But if that's the case, you don't need Carl. He could have just let uh, uh, Farin come out and then do that. Well, yeah, I, I, I. So what I think probably would happen, you you could spin that is that Johan may not have known that Carl was the real deal, but as soon as he found out, he goes, "Oh, this is even better." Um, mm. So I don't know. Especially like when you pull the guy out of the depression of thinking his son's dead, then realizing his son is actually alive, and then killing him. <laughs> you know. Mm. Uh, but anyway, that that was what's going through my head. The isolation was to make him latch on to his son and make him more likely to believe it, because I think he knew that Farin was a fake, probably. Oh, yeah, he had to have known. But it, it, it's I don't always know weird. if he knew about Farin, given that he hired the detective. Hmm. It's it's interesting to see. It's like Johan seems to know a lot more than, you know, about any of the subjects he's interacting with, like just an unusual amount of information. However, we that's never his... really know if he doesn't, if, if there's something he doesn't know. To be fair, that's all he has to do all day. <laughs> doesn't uh-huh. like have to go clock in at the target or whatever. He's also a college student. Well, I guess college students do have a lot of free time. College students have if so you... much fucking free time. Don't even play that. <laughs> yeah, if you gave I've... me uh, fuck you running around money, I could probably destroy a few souls myself. Uh-huh. I would. Let's not even pretend I wouldn't be horrible if I was. <laughs> I wasn't, was wasn't going to say it. I didn't. <laughs> Let's. Okay. Let's, real talk. The first time there was like a right stuff sale, all of that money would be gone. No, you mean like every like two months? So much I want from right stuff. Those like, it's not like I look at the sale. there's 6,000 items on sale and go, oh, I need 5,000 of these. I go, I would like. This series, this series, this series, would, and at this point, I have them. I would like thirty million copies of Paul Blart Mole Cop, please. <laughs> okay, at a dollar each, I would. I would make a Paul Blart room. Say, say I that. still have five. Uh, is that is that what you call redistributive justice? <laughs> that's correct. No, that's what I call uh, the thing that I put in the freezer that pisses my boss off. <laughs> uh. That takes us into episode 29, Execution. We open on some children in a park with Johan watching over them and Brown watching him from afar. He's wordless for the sequence, even as Johan talks with the kids briefly. Another visit with the wife in the cafe. This time there's no alcohol or no threat of it. And she mentions he has the fire from when they first met again. He hands over an envelope, saying that at some point he should give it to her daughter. All the newspaper clippings and reports on dear old dad killing a kid. And he says, I don't want you to defend me, but someday she does need to know the truth about her father. So 
This is again where I'm thinking like, okay, what is the most depressing thing that could happen? And I thought Johan was going to kill the wife and kid. No, he's going to... Obviously, the most depressing thing is I'm the equivalent of I'm retiring tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Like, here's the thing with Monster, right? Like, I am so expecting the worst at all times that, like, it's starting to not really, you know... You see the death flags. You see them way ahead of time. <laughs> you know, and like every time there's that slight bit of optimism, you go, this is going to get crushed immediately. And you, you're surprised when it doesn't, like with the case of the, the country doctor and the cantankerous uh, older woman, you know? I could see where you're coming from. The good thing about Monster is that it will clearly signal to you, this person knows too much. They will be a threat. They will be eliminated. But it doesn't always go there. You know, Ava's still running around out there. True. Well, so being rolled around out there right now. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm just saying, expect that while sometimes you're going to have these people in peril, not every time is Roberto going to show up, strangle someone and dump a body in a fire. Yeah, but it kind of like has primed me to expect that at all times. Mm hmm. Which makes it very tense. It makes every episode feel like, oh shit, Take like, a drink. how bad is this going to go? Yeah. Sorry. Hmm? Anyway. So, Braun is at the Liebert residence now. A, a Liebert residence, well, I'll say. Uh, posing as an insurance salesman. And he pushes his way in when he gets a chance, like saying, oh, yeah, you have insurance, but your son in college, he doesn't have an insurance policy yet. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like this would never happen today. <laughs> Jesus Christ. No, this is a uh, very 1990s move. Extremely. Like these days they tell you don't go into the house. That's actually dangerous for you. <laughs> yeah, this would get you shot in our country, oh, especially absolutely. now. Absolutely. Uh, so he's asking questions about their son, uh, who is Johan, a university, you know, supposedly a university student. Uh, and, you know, this is a Lieber family, so this is Johan Liebert's family. But we know that there's something off about this. Uh, taking a break, he's looking over the photos of his daughter again uh, when he realizes uh, he said in his meeting with his ex-wife, like, no matter how old Rosemary gets, I'll know her on site. And he thinks back to some of the childhood pictures of the Johann Liebert that were in the Liebert household and said, that looks nothing like Johann. That is definitely not the same kid. That baby is way too ugly to be supernaturally handsome. Also, he's not blonde. He's like, he know, is brown hair. He's a dirty blonde, but. I, think it's yeah, I mean, with, like, people's hair color do change since, you know, from when they're really young, but. Yeah, this definitely, like, yeah, you see it right away and you go, that's old. not him. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, man, I'm so gray. You have no idea. <laughs> At least you wear it well. I look like Fair Rogue. Enough. That kind of owns, though. Right? No, because it's not no? all in one streak. It's oh. random bits that make me look like a Grammy. It's a race to see if all my hair will turn white before it all falls out. <laughs> I I have been blessed with a full head of hair, and it's fantastic. But... Don't worry, there's other things that that, that suck that kind of balance that out. You have a ah, whiskey dysfunction. Dick. Got it. Uh -huh. sure. <laughs> I sure, love we'll Chris and that. I both going for the same joke in classy and unclassy ways. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. 
Anyway, <laughs> City Hall. He rushes over to City Hall. And the records office has a birth certificate for Johann Liebert saying that it, he was born in this city. However, he's sitting next to this old man who then pulls out a cigarette and one of the workers there goes, oh, you know, you can't smoke it here. Like, you remember that there was a fire here four years ago. We're not doing this again. That's my favorite part. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, this, you know, piques Braun's interest. And he asks, like, wait, there was a fire. Uh, What happened with all the documents? They said, oh, uh, we just, you know, recreated all of them. Uh, It wasn't that many because this is a relatively small town. And this is a little suspicious to him. Extremely normal thing to do. (laughs) You know, if you're trying to keep records that might be needed, I could see not expecting, yeah, someone's going to clone a kid. Well, the thing that obviously makes this weird is like, well, I guess you have to give it to (laughs) you have to hand it to (laughs) Johan. That he is very charismatic. And of course would show up and be like, by the way, I'm your son. And they go, sure. Yeah. We might we might dig a little more into that later. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty Meanwhile, sure that they knew he wasn't. Because Oh, they know. Yeah, because the no, because the, um, the situation was that basically they wanted to pretend to the state that their child was still alive for some reason. Mm-hmm. Right, because it was an at will. You have to come here and tell them that this is the information for your paperwork to be recreated. Right, so like they were in on that part. Yeah, they yeah, basically I... just forgot to give a death certificate again. Mm, yeah, so I don't. <laughs> a lot, lot of a uh, lot of interesting questions that I have that I'm sure will probably be answered later. <laughs> Extremely dumb mm-hmm. motivation for these old people. Yeah, that's the thing that doesn't make doesn't add up to me. Guess we'll see. Meanwhile, it's everyone's fan favorite character. Dr. Gilbert is back in town and he is meeting up with his former professor, Dr. Reichwein. The two of them have a discussion about that time Tenma showed up at his place with a gun and the Johan mystery. And Gilbert's pretty on the record. Yeah, I don't think Tenma did this. Uh, You also seem to be suspecting this Johan is real, too. So... If this guy is my patient's friend, he'll react to seeing a picture of the college student, and Wait, he is takes this, one. Is this Gilbert or Gillen? This is Gillen. God this is damn Gillen. it. <laughs> I was like, who's Gilbert? <laughs> my brain keeps doing this thing where when I'm taking notes quickly, I just scribble down Gilbert because it's a name that I deal with more. <laughs> and I thought I caught all of them, but clearly I didn't on my line. Great. Well, I, I'm just glad I didn't, didn't go completely unremarked because I see I was looking down. I'm like, oh, yeah, Gillen's in the notes. And I'm like, wasn't it Gillen? Like, yeah, Gillen, Gillen, Gillen. No, no, I just fucked up one of them. But it had to be the line that I was doing. You fucked up. I'm leaving time. it. I don't care. Yeah, I know. I'm saying it's the one line I'm on. You could just say Dr. Gillen and then Gillen and then fix I'm it not re. I'm not mixing all this. I don't give that much of a shit. I'll take my L. <laughs> But the plan is, Gillen is going to take this picture Brown has of Johan and go, let's see if Peter Jurgen's famous serial killer has a reaction to the guy. Mm-hmm. Across town, Brown is hurrying through a graveyard, and hours later, because we cut back to him a few times and it is now near dusk, uh, 
he finds the grave of Johann Wilhelm Liebert, dead at two years old in the 70s. So, he pops in to see Reichwein on the way home, and he lays out the facts for anyone who hasn't been catching up. The Lieberts lost their son at a young age. At some point, Johann gets into things and becomes their adopted child. When the fire hit the records office, they decided to just slot this child into his identity when they were recreating the documents. So now the questions are, who is Johann Liebert, and what drove them to do this? That's not grief 20 years later. <laughs> but, rather than stay for dinner and a chat, Brown says he has to be home early. He is expecting a call from his daughter Rosemary, and Reichwein declares he's made a full recovery happily. Uh, Only good things ahead. <laughs> Important to note, this is from that weird time where if you weren't home, people just couldn't get a hold of you on the phone, like before yep. voicemail. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And answering yeah, answering I think she, yeah. <laughs> we see a couple of cellular phones in the series, but they are only by the rich and powerful. Yeah. Um, that night, Brown's daughter indeed calls him, but while he's on the phone, there's a knocking at the door. It's Johan. Uh, for the record, while she's on the phone, she does say, uh, let's meet up tomorrow, uh, which is like, why mm-hmm. you go, oh no. Uh, mm-hmm. Elsewhere, Peter Jurgens and Dr. Gillen are in the interrogation room. He shows Jurgens the photo and asks if he recognizes the man. Oh no, my, my screensaver. <laughs> nope, never seen him. When pressed a little, though, Jurgens asks for Gillen's pen. Despite hesitation, he hands it over, and Jürgen, um, Jürgens immediately begins scribbling over the hair. It was at the park, the day after a killing. I thought, I need to stop this. This is enough. And that's when I saw him. He was surrounded by children. And he just said, you should come too. You should come too. You should. And then Peter Jürgens jams the pen through his ear, killing himself in one swift motion. Across the town... Johan says he's been trying to reach Braun since the day they met at Schuwald's. Braun has no reason to turn him down, so... Gillen calls Reichwein from the hospital. Uh, Jürgens is DOA, and the police are questioning Gillen, so he can't leave, but promises to regroup. Uh, He's sure the suicide was in response to the photo, because it was. (laughs) Oh, yeah. But it also seemed like it was some kind of, like, hypnotic suggestion or something uh, i'm curious to see if that they explain more about that later the only <laughs> the worst possible thing to do would be turn johan into a magician <laughs> be very funny it's true. <laughs> it would be the most terrible way to go with this and i won't say anything <laughs> okay uh, so, so Reichwein tries to call Braun, but no one is home. Johan has taken him out to a bar where he's uh, talking up his paper over a drink. So, yeah, the entire thing is under the premise of I'm doing some research and I wanted to talk to you about this. And we've heard him mention this to um, Schuwald's kid. Mm-hmm. I forget his name. Girl. Yeah, they were talking about the rights of children, the UN charter on this. So. This does appear to be what Johan is actually doing work on in college. Yeah, so it, like an actual, I don't want to call it an, alib- uh, an alibi, but at least the motivation. That it's, called, it's a premise. premise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, nothing should be flagging you yet about, 
oh, this is terrible. It's like, oh, yeah, that's what his work is. That's why he's always around children. Yeah. So they're they're at the bar and Johan's drinking a whiskey. Braun is drinking coffee, of course, and they go to leave to to continue the conversation elsewhere. And Johan just buys the rest of the bottle of whiskey. Uh, and he said, oh, it's a little nippy out there in the night air. So I, I just wanted to have a little extra to drink and and they leave. So, you know, bad stuff about to happen. Uh, the final act of the episode is a long conversation on the road, then up some stairs and then to the rooftop of a building uh, between these two men. Johan is slowly luring Braun into a trap. Uh, it finally closes when he asks Braun Point Blake, are you sure when you you were drunk when you shot that boy? Uh, because nobody saw you drinking before the murder. They saw you at a bar after the murder. So is this the lie you tell yourself and everyone else in order to, you know, move on with your life, essentially? <laughs> and in the middle of this interrogation, like, Braun is clearly getting more and more, you know, shook by having to face this. I don't want to say it's a revelation, but like face face the truth in this situation. Then that is when Johan takes the bottle that he had been carrying out of his pocket and asks Braun whether he cares for a drink. We cut to later when there is a knock on Reichfein's door. He's expecting Gillen, but instead it's two policemen who say, uh, Dr. Reichfein, your patient Richard Braun has been found dead. Very funny to think that he's on the same tier as like immediate family. Yeah, there's some really weird stuff between um, like therapist and patient in these episodes. No, I mean, like for the police to notify him at like the same rate as next of kin is very funny to me. Yeah, that also seems a little a little extreme. Uh, do you think they got to his dentist also? <laughs> Probably not. <clears throat> Let's be honest. Brown does not have a dentist, given that smile. That's true. And so we come to episode 30, A Certain Decision, and we kick off at the funeral of Richard Brown. The church is nearly empty. It's the two psychiatrists in the back pew, his ex wife and daughter near the front, inconsolable, and some guy drawn in the center of the place. Uh, Nobody from the police force came, even after he was a stunning detective for so long. But Gillen is being very upfront about this. This is not a suicide, and he was not despondent. He was going to see his daughter the next day. He had just talked to Rosemary. We both know what happened here. But Reichfein is, you know, he's down in the dumps. He's just going, did I, did I do anything to help him? Was all of this for nothing? Was I just high on my own supply thinking I'd fixed him? We cut between a few days in the wake of Richard's death. Reichwein is still pushing himself to get into shape at the gym, being incredibly out of it with his surviving patients and trying to track down the events of Richard's last night himself. The thing that pulls him out of the funk is when he heads to the bar and harasses a service worker. Um, (laughs) Richard and Johan, which uh, Reichwein suspects but cannot confirm, were at the bar. The bottle of whiskey that was purchased was cheap rock gut, and Richard was a snob. Scotch whiskey only. We have a flashback 
to a shit-faced Richard in one of their early sessions, and he mentions, oh, good, you come in here smelling of this cheap brand. He's like, no, I come in here smelling of the good stuff. Scotch whiskey. Mm -hmm. Very, very alcoholic behavior. (laughs) Spot on. Yes. Which which is very, like, it almost feels like it's out of character for Johan to slip up in this way right well how would he have known yeah but that's the thing he knows so much about he already knows about Braun's daughter and and wife and all this about the case those are things you could get out of public records right like when they say that this cop was drunk and shot a kid they don't mention what he was drinking yeah but the thing is like he knew enough to know that Braun what do you think he knew that Braun was sober at the time or was he just was this a guess was this an inference like I how did he know that level of detail without also knowing by the way this guy only drinks scotch I mean he was exceedingly leading the guy on pushing him off balance with a lot of the questioning the the whole thing we didn't go into is their whole conversation walking is where he's basically saying hey Mr. Cop do you know how many international laws you broke by executing one child? And the guy's Mm -hmm. like, yes, I'm pretty well aware. I was a cop. I was on trial. I had a lot of discussion about this. He does basically say, shut up, nerd. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) When he says, please, please, all of these are basic human rights in Germany. Shut up. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think the question is, how did Johan know this? I think the whole thing is designed to get him so off balance that he right. could just tip him over. Yeah, yeah. But He wanted to know. make him doubt himself. He might have been drunk that day, but if you throw that out there and you're just unraveling this whole thing, care for a drink. Yeah, I, I just feel like that that play really only works if it's really true that he was sober at the time and he's been lying to himself that his mistake was not completely his own. Or no, like, it doesn't. It's an extremely traumatic event that he's been in therapy for and has been having PTSD okay, okay, over. Yeah. All you so, have to do so, is invoke it, right? So so I guess it, it also in a sense that like he could be, he could actually be confabulating. Like he could actually believe that that was the case after the fact. Well, it doesn't even matter if he believes that. Johan's just out here trying to trigger the libs, is what I'm trying to say. Fair enough. Anyway, while uh, Reichfein is waiting for a subway train, we get a reprise of the scene uh, Richard had earlier, feeling like someone was about to push him in front of the train. However, Reichfein sees... Reichfein turns around and sees the guy and then makes pursuit as the guy runs away. All right. Minor nitpick, first time I've noticed it with the show, is that they reuse the exact same hand, which um, bums me out and led me to believe that it was not real, just like the other one. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Like, the first time I've noticed reuse, and, and it actually affected, like, the perception of the plot for a minute. Uh, yeah, it so is yeah. not the first time the show has, but I've been trying not to call it out, because generally it's pretty okay. Yeah, I normally don't notice. But when you do this and it was fake and then you use the exact same thing and it's real, that sticks out. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, I watched episode 29 or 20, was it 28 and 29, like two weeks apart. So I didn't catch that at all. <laughs> I had actually forgotten that Braun almost got pushed in front of a train until I read it in the notes. Well, and he might not have. We don't actually know if he was just paranoid. 
Well, we've... You mean Richard? Because, I mean, we, we find out Reichwein was definitely about to get murdered. <laughs> oh, yeah. We know Reichwein was, and we know there were attempts on Brown's life, but we also saw things like the alleyway where yeah, he's just chasing yeah. some ghost. Yeah, yeah. But, it, I mean, at this point, like, you know... Reichwein is under a lot of stress, but he isn't under enough stress to be either hallucinating or just having, like, panic attacks about things. But I don't know. No, he's he's getting himself back into shape. Mm -hmm. But anyway, so he does uh, run after uh, this goon and chases him to a dive bar. And uh, when he goes to confront the guy, uh, Reichwein learns that the hoodlum was not alone uh, because there is another big guy who uh, then drag him to the alley and uh, are beating the shit out of him. But the instant they let their guard down, Reichwein springs up and uh, breaks one of their noses like with a like a headbutt. A uh, big overhead clap when it happens. Uh -huh. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty fantastic. And uh, he grabs the other one, slams him into the wall, like, you know, with a. I don't really call it an arm bar. But so he just grabs his arm, pulls it behind his back, and is about to break it. And he said, like, uh, oh, he, I, I, like I used to be part to of the police. Arrest, <laughs> like he's about to put cuffs on him, actually, is what he's doing. Ah, yeah, gotcha. he's he's pushing a little to try and squeeze the arm. But yeah, this is technically a police move, which he does say he was a field medic. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, all that the guy is able to give him is that a big man paid him in cash on the platform to do it. Uh, that night, Reichwein goes to Richard's grave with a bottle of good whiskey, uh, opening it for the grave and promising that he'll find out Johann's true identity. And okay, what's really weird, though, is that he puts it down and then picks it up slightly to turn the label towards the grave. Like, here, check this out. I got you the right stuff. Well, Very funny. Good I mean, touch. it's interesting that he didn't pour any of it, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it, this might have been before the concept of pour one out. I don't think well, it would I mean, have been it's... in Germany in 97. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, this is a very effective scene. The whole, like, I, I'm, I'm on, like, two, I have two minds about this because the whole, oh, you can drink as much as you want now just feels like bad advice to give well to an alcoholic to be fair, you don't have a career or a liver to uh ruin anymore now that you're dead yeah i mean i i get i get the idea of it it's just also feels like a weird thing for a therapist to say <laughs> he's well, also doing a tribute to his dead friend yeah Matt, you're only an alcoholic for the rest of your life that's over now he's free it's true if fair, i were a fair, ghost fair. tomorrow you better believe i would be going where's a cider <laughs> fair enough <laughs> Uh, but behind Cider him, is so bad. Was that really the thing? It's I think the, less of you now. It's the thing I would get casually. I mean, there was also <laughs> hard liquor in there. But like, if I was just getting a pack of something, cider's good. Like, especially like I live if you get in. I live in the microbrew capital of the world, San Diego. We have mm -hmm. so many good things. Julian ciders with the fresh apples of the orchard. Oh, so good. Yeah, if you get you okay. get like a cider that's like more get... of a champagne style, like like when you dry, say getting a pack of good. cider, everyone thinks you mean strongbow. No, I <laughs> mean actual hard. local breweries. No one thinks Mike's hard, Matt. What is wrong with you? <laughs> or, sorry, not Mike's hard. I'm thinking like Bold Rock or something. No, I was not downing thirty angry orchards a night. Christ. <laughs> God, I haven't thought about Angry Orchard in a minute. 
They're still around. They think of you. (laughs) Uh, But anyway. That was very menacing. (laughs) (laughs) They're angry. They're they're thinking of you and they're still angry. Angry Orchard is the Joe Rogan of cider. So, yes, it holds a grudge and it wants to be in your life no matter what, no matter how many restraining orders. (laughs) Anyway, uh, behind Reichwein, a figure steps out from the shadows and it's Dr. Tenma, although he does not reveal himself at this time. Now, this is exactly the moment where I thought, hey, what happened to Dr. Tenma? Isn't this his show, kind of? (laughs) And then he shows up. It was actually perfect timing for me. Wish we hadn't seen him here, only because it would have made the ending so much more fucking hype. You know, it, it was still I think hype. it's an interesting move, especially because he doesn't show himself. It feels less like a deus ex machina when he shows up, if you establish that he's around and connected to right I know, I know, but I want the big, I want the big moment to be bigger. I get it. I know that's not Monster's thing, but I wanted it. I forget if they show his face. I think they just show a figure at the grave. Oh, they show his face. And you know, in the manga. That would have been good. No, that would have been good enough. Yeah, I think... That would be ideal. You cover both cases, Yeah, I don't right? think they reveal it. I'd have to check, but I can't grab the volume while recording. I, me in post. Check this. Confirm if I'm wrong. Future Sybil here. It turns out they do. It is in one panel at the end of the chapter, Decision. If you have the original volumes, you can find it as Chapter 8 in Volume 8. So, we cut to Reichwein's practice the next day. Uh, this is where we learn that his secretary keeps forgetting to lock every exit on her way out. <laughs> this time, she might have missed closing one of the windows. This is going to get them robbed. Chekhov's nega ADP. Yep. Uh, Gillen calls and tells Reichwein he has put an ad in the paper to contact Tenma, Something only we would know. And it's specifically, hey, you should call me about cheating, Rudy. (laughs) That's great. So good. I love it. Uh, But in the meantime, he tells Reichwein, hey, be careful. Uh, Brimley says he will, but he's going to follow one last lead. You know, Margot Langer, the thing we heard about. So he goes to the red light district and all he can find from a very very contentious sex worker is yeah she hasn't been seen around for a bit ever since she hooked up with that rich guy the big man always be hustling Mm. yep yeah she's she keeps saying like why why don't you just have fun with me and like right Wayne's like no i just not interested (laughs) she is shit talking him so much oh you like those old fat ones huh that your type as he runs away, she yells, check out our Patreon at pitchdrop.com. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean it's you or me who's currently working the streets? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> I plugged our Patreon to being Mr. Boop's tech guy in their own private channel while I was helping them set some stuff up. <laughs> nice. Uh, the next day, Reichwein's secretary leaves early. A cheating husband is his only remaining patient of the day. The, uh, he's the husband of the um, extreme Karen that's been around. Yeah, uh, we haven't mentioned her much. There's this woman that he's kind of spacing out during her session. He's like, my husband keeps cheating on me, and he's only walking around the house, and he just mows the lawn silently. And 
at a certain point, the doctor goes, you know, I'm not really worried you're depressed. You're full of energy about this. I'm worried your husband has some issues. You want to schedule some time with me? I just caught on to a big thing I'm going to say in a minute. I was trying to plot realization. Um, uh, the husband comes in, and it's Roberto, and then I do an extreme huge gasp. Uh-huh. <laughs> what, a, what a fucking reveal. Well, you knew the oh big man was going to be someone important, like, and it, it is. I did not. Oh, my God. Could not believe it. Uh-huh. Uh, he's open pretty quick about A, knowing Johan, and B, killing, and he says he killed the person he had an affair with, which is, this is my big revelation, which means that Heath doesn't know that Ava's still alive. I think he's just talking about a thing you're gonna learn next time. Mm. Don't ruin this for me. Well, I, I uh, assume that he killed, uh, Margot Langer. That, yeah, that's, that's the thing. That's uh, the woman he's been having the affair with. Boo. Supposedly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is that an affair that's paying for goods and services? No. It is sleeping uh, around outside of your marriage. Don't ruin my joke. <laughs> uh, As a goods and service. <laughs> the following scene is a tense casual chase through the office. As Reichbide looks out for which exits are locked, boils water in the kettle under the premise of making tea and keeping his calm against Roberto just menacingly looming over him. Um, it, in a last desperate move where I just went, oh god, oh fuck, when he just threw the cup of boiling water in his face and the kettle and just goes for the back door that's still unlocked. Roberto calmly walks out, taking steady aim down the stairwell, is about to pull the trigger, and then suddenly a bullet flies past his face from below, and it's motherfucking Tenna right here, having pushed Reichwein aside and fired. The last thing we hear is his scream of, you're being targeted, but I've been watching over you. Now run. And that's it. That's the fade to black. Oh, fucking lit! So good. What a finish. Yes! I have very carefully staggered out where we stop in this arc every time just for the maximum moment like this yeah because yeah no. we're still in this uh-huh get get owned on editing my audio while i had my hands up in the air and was spinning around in my chair while talking into a microphone <laughs> i can make this shit work <laughs> <laughs> well anyway these episodes great fucking great good good tension the, the fucking roberto showing up just fucking floored me because like yep. you think that oh th this part of the story is just throw away <laughs> right I you, you think nothing of it eyes at me when i went <gasps> yeah but i mean the second you went like oh the secretary is gonna leave early oh i have one patient left and it's this guy i'm like it's gonna be bad but i didn't realize it was gonna be that bad <laughs> yup god i think and he's my favorite character in the show so far reichwein yeah he fucking rules no 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 i mean i mean roberto I like how we are selling Roberto as a clear threat, but we're not overselling him. Because, like, he just yeah. had a bunch of boiling water splashed at him. But it's not, ah, I'm blind forever. It's, yeah, He's okay. just a guy who can find people and has good aim. Yeah, mm -hmm. It slows him down, but it's not disabling for a dude. He's just like, all right, yeah, people have tried these tricks on me before. Let's keep going. Yeah, uh, he, he's a, uh, what do you say? Uh, Why do you think my face looks like uh, this? Professional. Not the first boiling water. Yeah, this, mm -hmm. this guy this guy a true professional. 
Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that I think that sums up anyone's thoughts on this and we'll be back in 2 weeks with episodes 31 through 33 and the introduction of the new ending theme. Boot. By the See way, that? I'm I'm curious the this show, how was it aired? Like in what what were the core lengths on TV? Uh, yeah, this would have been television in the early 2000s. We so mentioned like, this it... a little in the opening. Uh, it did okay overseas in Japan. When they tried to take it international, it was a combination of not knowing what network to put it on. Mm-hmm. And it never got a complete release outside of, I think, maybe there was one box set in Australia. It should have gone on fucking Adult Swim. Oh, I would have watched sure. that shit every day yeah. i'm just wondering if it ain't if it aired continuously or whether or not there were like season breaks but I was uh thinking. it Could... did air continuously i think okay. there were like a few weeks off here and there for holidays but otherwise yeah because like 70 episodes 73 70 yeah yeah like it's that's so long. that's a long time to be like anime doesn't do that anymore buddy we'll be talking about this for almost two years here's the thing it still happens but this is also a series that is both critically acclaimed is complete at the time they start doing the adaptation so they don't have to wait for filler chapters or anything and it's unambiguously adult material this is not child friendly for a lot of reasons so it did air in the west this whole dub did air that's how we have a whole series dub Uh it was on the sci-fi channel Oh, I was going to say, you know where it would come today is fucking Spike. Oh, um, yeah. You're close. Well, it's uh, Paramount now. But yeah, uh, I th- I would have to see what was on Adult Swim at this time. I want to say it would have been Bleach, Naruto, etc. This would not have fit well, in with Toonami. what Adult Swim was doing. That was Toonami, right? Not Adult Swim. Uh, at a certain point, those moved over to Adult Swim because Toonami was gone. But I don't, oh, again, yeah, I don't know where the transition sad. went sad yeah either way this wouldn't have fit with the contemporary cartoon network anime block so Damn, yeah how would uh, you get rid of that what a good fucking mascot oh my god like, they still the use only the good mascots oh i know it, but tom? they got rid of it for a long time yeah yeah tom is still there fucking dumbass move mm. for what it's worth uh they've been pretty good at capitalizing that to the point that I think they actually had a Yo Tom Says Trans Rights thing at recent. Huh. I remember there was something with one of their shows where like people were shit-talking. They're like, hey, don't fuck with Asians, don't fuck with the queers. You know, we, we stand for everyone. Eat it. Nice. Pretty nice. Anyhow, yeah. Uh, Monster, still good, and uh, we're at, like, the big arc in the middle now. This is going to go on for a bit. Get ready. Well, I mean, it has to, right? Like, this is the point where Johan is being revealed slowly. Yes. Mm-hmm. But we've still got half a series, so oh, just God. wait. Yes, <laughs> so much left. <laughs> Here's the thing. Does this ever feel long? I it mean, does every time I open the folder of how many vi- and see how many videos are in it. <laughs> That's true. Okay. I, I feel like if I, I could not binge this show for sure 
Also, uh, fuck you, Chris. I, I listened to the last episode. What? <laughs> you call me a fucking baby. It's like, I watch them all on the same day. <laughs> fuck, you are a fucking baby, to be fair. Oh, fuck off. How am, how am I not getting the fuck you for it's tense and me screaming, take a drink? <laughs> uh, hey, look. Have you tried not being a baby? Eat shit. <laughs> <laughs> Peace out, fuckers. See ya. Uh, see ya.